Say It With Guitars. I'm your host, Pete Cornelius. Each episode, I'll be digging deep and getting to hang with some of Australia's finest guitar pickers, songwriters, producers, collectors, and makers. I look forward to bringing you these fun conversations and I hope you enjoy Say It With Guitars. Hey, legends. Thanks for joining us for probably the last episode of the series. Yep, you heard it. I'm going to be taking a break. Um, I've had some great conversations with some awesome people and yeah, I think it's it's about time for this season to wind up. So yeah, I'm calling it. I'm sure it has been a great learning curve into, you know, jumping ahead first into making podcasts and I sure look forward to setting up a new season for next year with some more outstanding guests. So yeah, look forward to bringing you guys some more juicy content. I sure hope everyone had a great Christmas break. Ours was a little bit interesting. The house was in lockdown with COVID. So yeah, it wasn't the Christmas we had planned, but you know, you got to roll with the dice and we're all good now and look forward to hanging out with some friends for New Year's. Also, I've got a big tour coming up in January, folks. So please keep an eye out on the gig guide on my website and yeah, hope to see you all out and about. Happy New Year. Before we crack into today's show, I'd like to shout out to our sponsor, Mr. Billy Tarrant from Tarrant Guitars. Billy's an amazing luthier and he makes some real sweet instruments. I'm lucky enough for him to have built me a 00 size acoustic guitar which I've dragged all around the country and it's sounding better than ever. So yeah, check out tarantguitars.net.au. Tessie's one-stop custom workshop for custom-made guitars, all guitar repairs and services. Let's get into the show. like to welcome to Say It With Guitars, the podcast, Soren and Dave from the band Sweet Talk. Hey, fellas, how are you going? Very well, mate. Thanks for having us, man. Really good. Pleasure to be here. Good to see you. Thanks very much for joining us. Who wants to um, give us a little intro as to how the two guitars work in Sweet Talk? Who's putting their hand up? That's a great question, man, to to start this all off. We could probably talk about that for the whole hour. Coming in heavy. Um, uh, (laughs) Where do we begin? I mean, we've always, Soz and I have played guitars together for like 20 years. You know, we met in high school. We started jamming together then. We've been in other bands before, but we've always jammed and gotten together. And like yeah. one of the big things we always talk about is like the Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood thing, guitar weaving. Yeah. And that's like a, a an approach to not dedicating one person to rhythm and one person to lead and to like finding the sweet spot between both of those things and having a conversation between the guitars. So that's kind of the, I think the foundation of our kind of a philosophy on how we want to approach it is like there's plenty of rhythmic stuff going on, there's plenty of lead breaks, there's plenty of harmonised stuff going on, but really it's it's like one of our engineers said this to me recently, he goes, you know, pan the guitars left and right and they're just talking to each other the whole time. And that's that weaving thing, you know. It's like you're not necessarily sure who's playing what or what role that's playing but it's just about finding those sweet spots between the notes or playing in a different register or whatever to find that. Like because we write the songs, we come at it from guitar players' perspectives. So we write the riffs and and that comes down to a lot of the times writing those riffs first before we've written anything else. So that's the foundation of like the whole sound really. Yeah, weaving. Well put, mate. That's very well described. Yeah. 
Um, and that interaction between you two is, is very prevalent. Like I know that from what I was listening to in the live arena and some of the pre-recorded stuff on the, on the YouTube, it's definitely some back and forth and sort of leaving space for each other. And like the tones are similar in a way. Like I know they're both using single coil guitars a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sort of not going for massive diversity in, in your approach either. It's sort of coming at it from the same mm-hmm. angle. And the same yeah. history. I, I, so I don't, actually, I don't know. I'm probably presuming the same sort of history. What, what What's your background individually, you guys, as guitar players? Siren, maybe you want to chip think, in? Yeah, I think for me, I was definitely, I guess it would have started really with George Harrison and the Beatles and that in general. Great. But um, that quickly, quickly went to blues for me and I've been pretty rooted in the blues ever since. But that's where I really... That's what I think my bread and butter is. Um, early Chicago sort of stuff. Love it. Even even earlier, yep. obviously. But I found a found a sort of a yeah. I just loved Chicago blues, and then from there it just went to the Southern rock. The uh, the Dwayne Allman. Um, yep, he's like a god to me. So yeah. Who were the some of some of the Chicago guys that you would sort of highly regard as your influences or? Probably not even Back guitar players, day, just buddy like guy. singers. Buddy, yeah. Buddy, buddy. And and actually you might be able to tell me, Pete, is where's T-Bone Walker from? He's actually probably the, my earliest memory of locking on to a proper like sort Texas. of a – Yeah, Texas, yeah. right. So that, that probably explains a lot. Um, I was a big T-Bone Fort Walker fan back in the day. Nothing to do with my last name, Absolutely. of course. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, huge fan of his <laughs> and – I just and then I, I honestly I became obsessed with Steve Ray Vaughan for a while. Went through a huge Stevie phase. Yep. But then yeah, sort of sliding into more country stuff later on, I guess. So yeah. Yep. And do you think that came from songwriting, like the the country vein, like writing songs yourself, or is that sort of just a progression? You think? I think it was a progression. Like um, just wanting to hear more of the major stuff and then the major minor combination, which was, I think is where why I landed south. Like the southern sort of sound, I find that that crossover there is the best to me. I love playing with major minor stuff. It's simple stuff, but it's so effective and so mm. powerful, I think. Yeah. And it really diverts you from that typical blues sound as well. Like, you know, the minor pentatonic that happens in a lot of that Chicago stuff, whether it be a guitar or a piano or a horn line or a harmonica, it's pretty much that kind of diatonic pentatonic sort of sound um, and then you start mm-hmm. listening to Southern Soul and, you know, especially the Allman Brothers like the Dickie Betts and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. those sort of guys interweaving that major melodic mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, ooh, that's fresh. <laughs> yeah, and then you sort of just weave a bit of jazz in there and you're in totally different territory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about you, Dave? What's what's your um, what's your sort of take on on the guitar well, as yeah I, I definitely didn't come from that that spot i mean back 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 in the day the first guy was kurt cobain for sure you know like most 14 year olds oh. in 1994 i think i learned unplugged beginning to end and then and then do- dove <laughs> deep but when i came to the blues which it's, was a little it was around that time probably introduced to the blues through um where did you sleep last night off of unplugged 
you sure. know, Huddy Ledbetter, yeah. Ledbelly. In the pines, And then right? I kind of like, my dad had a, a two CD set of Robert Johnson and and that, that was really the first blues I went really deep into and just trying to figure out the the chord shapes and like some of the patterns and some of the slide stuff even because like I play a lot of slide in Sweet yeah. Talk. Um, I would say almost majority of what I do is slide, even though I do other stuff as well. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like early days. I was just like, just like, and, and actually funnily, Dwayne comes into this as well. Cause long before I fully tapped into Southern rock, one of the first things I learned to play on slide was, uh, Statesboro blues off of the live record. Yep. Um, first song baby. Yeah. And that's just like one shape <laughs> and an open tuning and you just like, you kind of move around the one position, but that was like, what, those were really early slide lessons for me. Then it progressed to discovering Raikuda. My uncle is Dom Turner from the Backsliders and so he's I was going to ask that. Yeah, he he's a slide guy and obviously, I mean, Absolutely. he's kind of n- notorious for, for being a great slide player and he kind of introduced me to a lot of slide stuff as well, some of the concepts, some of how, how to get to the five chord with the different tuning and trying to find the finger shapes and stuff. Um, but he yeah. kind of he get, got me some Raikuda stuff. And Tom Waits stuff actually in the same year. And that kind of like took me off into, right. you know, I discovered Mark Ribot through the Tom Waits stuff yeah. and then Ry Kuda. And Ry yeah. Kuda is really like, that was like, he's, he's still my guy. Like I, I find him the most compelling, interesting musician and, and player and producer probably, I reckon. Um, I yep. just think that he's, he's an endless well and I, I love everything he does. And if you go back, especially his first few records, but he's just, I mean, what he does with open tunings, with the the, the way that he plays across tunings, um, and he's just phrasing yep. and stuff. I just absolutely adore it. And then from there, it was like the new guys, like Blake Mills. I absolutely love him. Um, and mm-hmm. I know that after, like, long after that, discovering Little Feet and Lowell's playing, um, I try yeah. to get a lot of that into the slide. You know, I try to get a lot of like Lowell would hit a note bang on, and then not use vibrato. And he'd just kind of use it almost like an organ player, like slide up to a note and then just hit it. Um, so I like that. But then I also like the way that Rye plays really loosely around a note. So I try to kind of incorporate a little bit of that as well. And then and then, yeah. and then Derek, Derek Trucks as well. Those are kind yeah. of like my, my – I would say those are the guys like I lean on a lot in Sweet Talk, you know. Um, you know, I have other – like if yeah. I'm talking about uh, regular – because I'm a, a telly player, for picking stuff it's like – I'm I'm a mad Jim Campolongo fan. Um, <laughs> I love that guy. I actually get lessons from him. He's so um, bent. It's great. Oh, really? Behind me is a whiteboard and uh, that's where I write so I don't forget uh, when the Campolongo lessons oh, are. Oh, wow. Well, so Jan's the next one. So I see him once a month and, <laughs> um, and I got, you know, guys like Red that's Volcart. Neat. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. he's amazing. He's amazing. He's blown my How did you get onto that? Did you just... Just send him a DM like, through one of the so- yeah. socials, and um, just- I just found on his website actually. He said he was taking taking yep. um, students, and I was like, "Fuck, man!" Like you know, it's in the middle of COVID. I had nothing else to do because, um, like yeah. I was explaining to you before, like we, we were doing a lot of music before. We were playing in Sweet Talk, and I, I was making records with people, and. Then it's like, damn, it's just me and my guitar in a room, <laughs> you know. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I tapped yeah. into him, and uh, it was nerve wracking at first, but he's so generous, and it was just—it's a really great relationship. I love it, and it's—it's it's teaching. I mean, he's—I quite frequently have mini panic attacks during the lessons because I'm like, whoa, <laughs> slow down, buddy. But luckily, he's—he yeah. records it on Zoom, um, and so I can go and 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 rewind and watch stuff right. over and over again. So, yeah, guys, like I that. I love say, Brad Paisley, man. Record those. 
Yeah, yep. you, you do. You do. So, yeah, that's it. It's kind of like a cross. For me, it's like what Soren was saying about the minor and major blues thing, um, the pentatonics, and that's 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 in all that stuff, you know. It comes from a different angle of it, but it's there, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, yeah, I love that sound too. I think that's that's the most expressive way you can do something. Because like no notes are out of bounds, you know, if you know how to hit them. Absolutely. And even if it is a bit sort of funky and a bit spicy, it's, it's sort of – if you can sort of hit it twice perhaps and then like go, yep. oh, I kind of meant to do that. Love and that. Then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's, a, I, that's what I love about uh, – sorry, man. Go ahead, go. man. Well, I was just going to say sometimes that's what I love about um, – this <laughs> <laughs> latency is great. Yeah. I do love about um, <laughs> alternative <laughs> tunings, like ones that you're not quite – familiar with like maybe one that's a bit fresh and a bit sort of new under the fingers and mm-hmm. you go to do a pattern or a, a, a shape if you pretty much could you know you, you can hear where it's going to go but on a fresh tuning it's like oh that didn't end up how i wanted it to but sometimes that's how you find the the magic sort of notes that you don't really expect absolutely i don't know that's what happens to me anyway yeah you know like every guitar has a song in it right like when you first get a guitar and there's a song there for sure. You'll write something on it and maybe you've got, it gives you a bit more than that and you might get six or seven and maybe it's a lifetime thing or maybe it kind of comes to its end. It's the same. I feel like when you change any parameter, like you get a new piece of gear or whatever, but that's true of the tuning thing, right? Because what you thought you were doing through muscle memory is not what ends up coming out. And, and then you find something that you ordinarily your taste wouldn't take you there, but yeah, that's the exciting stuff. What's have you got a go to? Like, are you sort of like an open D sort of vibe? Open E, open G, open E, open E is the is the number one what that I use on. I've got a Cuda casted Telecaster um, that Mm -hmm. I play all. I only play tellies, um, but the my main slide guitar is a Cuda caster, so it's got the laps through steel um, bridge pickup, right? um, Which is an absolute nightmare (laughs) to get right. Is it the Lolo? Uh, Pardon? No, it's not. It's a Mojo. Actually, it's a UK guy built oh, yeah. them. Um, yeah. They're very similar, apparently, um, but it's got slightly rounded edges, so it doesn't cut up your, your palm quite as much. Um, but he was out of phase. Yeah, I've heard they're a nightmare to set up because of the um, oh, yeah. the bridge height has to be perfect to fit through the slot and that neck that's angle number one problem. The other problem is every single pole piece is is um, it's adjustable with a, a a screwdriver, tiny screwdriver, and they are so sensitive that just by using it and putting it on planes and stuff, they can readjust themselves and all of a sudden your G will be three or four dB louder than the rest of your strings. And so you've got to do that. 
there's other magnets that if you put them in the wrong way, that'll be out of phase with the neck pickup. It's really interesting, but sure. it's <laughs> really harmonically complex and kind of slightly microphonic. So it's, it's yeah. really interesting, but I got to be really careful about that when I play too loud. Yeah. So that's an open E with flat wound. Um, and that's the cool. number one. And then I play in open G a lot as well. Um, I haven't yet tapped open G for sweet talk. That's like, I've almost intentionally been holding that back because I know that when I've run out of E songs, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> album number two comes around. We need songs. It's like open G baby. Let's see what we Horns got. Horns and G tuning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about you, Soren? Do you, do you get into the slide open tuning stuff or are you, are you strictly like a, a regular tuning guy? What's, what's your approach to the guitar and the band? It's pretty traditional to be honest. Yeah. Not, I, I'm pretty simple all around in my approach with, generally life and particularly guitar but yeah standard tuning the whole way through um nah can't even boast a drop d <laughs> <laughs> hey that's album number three <laughs> hey but no I, I just yeah i'm very yeah i guess traditional but um obviously amazing but yeah it's i just approach it that way my friend nice it makes it keeps it simple you know yeah, well, someone's got to keep it simple. <laughs> it's it's tricky having a few guitars. Like I, I haven't got any guitars that I dedicate to slide. I kind of try and use – I just keep my options open, I suppose. Um, yeah. That also makes it hard for string action and that sort of stuff. And yeah. And string gauge. Big time. Yeah. Um, so because I play slide in, in regular tuning as well in Sweet Talk. So like – the uh, E guitar comes out probably four four out of ten songs, and then the rest of it's on regular tuning. And I play slide on that like ninety mm-hmm. percent of the time too. That's tricky because there's you know there's a sweet spot that I've discovered, and I'm happy with it. Like it's well, I think I tend to have my action a bit higher than regular people anyway. Um, but it's uh, it's had, I've been forced to really lighten the touch on the slide. It's the only way to do it, yep. you know. So I've gotten, I've actually gotten thinner slides now too. Um, so I've just actually, I've, sure. I've been through the whole gamut of like all sorts of like different slides. I've got a cupboard full of them. The Dunlop thin walled slides, straight up. You know, it's what Derek uses, what Blake yep. uses. There's a reason they're really agile, but they also it allows you to not bash the string down to the fretboard. So it, yeah, they're good. They're working. But it's, it is tricky for sure when, you, when you're trying to play both styles on that one guitar. It's a whole different game. You know, you've yeah. got to be so gentle. It is. Do you go down the lull sort of approach and use a compressor or like two compressors? I've or tried. That sort of thing as well? I've tried. I can't do it, man. I actually just pulled a compressor off my board that I bought. I had this, uh, oh, it's, the, it's the Origin, Origin Cali 76. Oh, yeah, the Cali 76, yeah. Yeah, and so... <laughs> Two, two that go into one another, um, but it's mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know. I think there's something about it that I just can't ever really jive with with a compressor. I've tried so many times, um, and I think it's mainly probably because I wind the amps up pretty loud anyway, and use I, I've yep. got to get them on that edge of like sag compression kind of thing, bite, yep. you know, so that I like that feel of when you're driving that with a slide guitar more than I like the the yeah. compressor. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've just never kicked it on and been like, yeah, that's what I'm after, you know? Yep. 
So yeah, answer is yes and no, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think it it's a combination of having an amplifier that takes like if, if you've got a really clean loud amp, mm. I think a compressor would take out the spikes and yeah. Um, give you that sort of clean sustain because obviously when the guitar is super clean, you're not going to get that long mm-hmm. held sustain as well as you would do on a overdriven amp or with a pedal or whatever. Um, so I, th- I think that's kind of where he was going, was getting super clean and super yeah. sustain. But, yeah, I like a bit of grit on it and, you know, with yeah, me too. compression and – yes. Totally. You can use yeah. touch sensitivity then and, like, you know, use your yeah. volume pot for dynamics. and Yeah, I think that's what it is. Dynamics. I think that's what it is, yeah. Like I, I use the volume knob constantly um, and I tend, I tend to actually not even use pedals much at all. Like I've got them on there for shitty backline amps, but 90% of the time I just use yeah. one one boost for solos and not and that's it. And um, But I do cool. wind the amps up loud, which sound guys don't love. <laughs> But it's it's so much how I've learned to play by being loud and by controlling it and then using touch dynamics and stuff um, and allowing yep. the sustain to come from the overdriven amp, you know. So yep. that feels right to me. So, yeah, <laughs> they've just got to lump it, unfortunately. <laughs> That's right. And it's got a feel right, man. If, if you guys are going to be on stage, you know, pouring your hearts out, you might as well – it's got to start on stage. It can't mm. – you know, you, you don't play for the sound guy. You, you play for yourself mm. and – and the, and the emotions will translate, I think. Mm. Obviously, if it's a tiny room, you know, you have to be considerate. But maybe that's when you bring the the champ or that's when you bring the yeah. small amp, you know, if yeah. you can. Um, and speaking of amps, I had a little, you know, I did have a little look on the YouTube. And I think we briefly talked about it when we saw you guys in Tassie. If you're running, is it like an old, um, like a projector amplifier or some sort of like bizarre? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've actually... Tell me about that, man. Yeah, so that's... Um, I've got a couple of them, actually. So, you know Jed Hughes? No. Guitar player. Uh, he's an Aussie guy from Adelaide, I think. He, he lives in Nashville. Cool. He's, he's a phenomenal. Plays, play, plays with Vince Gill at the moment. Um, he oh, wow. uh, randomly... I saw him play with Emmy Lou 10 years ago, and I was like, who is this guy? It turned out he was an Australian. I felt like a little pang of pride for him. Um, and then many years later, I was on Reverb looking for a projector amp, and I... I went and bought it and I realised it was Jed Hughes and so he kind of struck up a conversation. He's heard heard the amp being played on Sweet Talk stuff too and he, he's a fan, which is really exciting. But So I bought this. This is a – it's an old Bell & Howe projector. So they used to have like a reel-to-reel film inside a portable projector that had an amplifier in it and a speaker. So it was like a home stereo system film or like home film entertainment system you could bring around to people's houses and watch movies on. Sure. Which is so bizarre. But it's got a it's got like a little <laughs> eight inch speaker in it. Um, but you can also plug it yep. into a cab. But it's like a it's a it's they're built by a guy in the States and in LA called Austin Hooks. Um, and he builds them for like Blake Mills and all that sort of stuff. And I was looking for it because I liked Blake's tone, you know. But I've since sort of yeah. struck up a bit of a friendship with him too, and so he's built me another couple of bits and pieces. So I've got got a couple of them. The, the Christmas song we just put out has has another one on it, actually. But yeah, they're basically as far as I can explain it, kind of like a five e three Tweed Deluxe yeah. that doesn't flub out in the bottom end when you're pushing it. So it's kind of like this strange. It's got an unusual tube complement in there. There's a whole bunch of old tubes, really small transformers, about fifteen watts. 
re- gets really saggy and compressy, but it doesn't flub for some reason. It doesn't get mm. all weird in the bottom end and modulating and stuff. It's just like really clean. Almost, I, I don't want to say it's Marshall-esque because like I'm just not a Marshall guy, but it, it's it's got that, that mid-range clarity and push without it being, but still feels like a Fender to play, you know? So they're, they're, right. they're super cool amps. So they're, they're a little quiet for live application, but um, I, you, I often run it as a B amp. So I'll, I'll have it on an AB sure. switcher um, and run that yep. as the B amp. Yeah, I love the way it responds. Right. It's, it's a beautiful thing, wonderful for slide. Just super compressed. It's enough. a great discovery then for the sound of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the weird stuff, you know. I like the slightly, <laughs> the slightly strange, unusual stuff. I like stuff that does one thing really well. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I've never been a, a simple circuit guy. or simple yeah. arrangement of knobs and just like that's what it's it does. Tone and volume have to do everything. Tone and volume. Yeah. My favorite amps are tone great. and volume. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's a fun one for sure. That's great, man. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to show them to you, but obviously the, the audience can't see them. <laughs> it's all right um and you guys are in melbourne yeah you guys are a victorian band both coburg the two of us yeah coburg north of the river yeah sweet you mentioned you went to high school together do you guys play in bands as well as kids or did you kind of just hang out yeah actually the first band I was ever in was with Dave not actually and it was not Dave's first band but it was mine right and uh in what it must have been a what year 12 year 11 something like that and I think we're it's coming off the back of a great run of new metal at the time Mm. so it may or may not have been skewed that way but uh you know you learn a lot doing that And that's sort of where, you know, I guess the musical journey started for us. But since then, yeah, we've gone through lots of different projects, lots of different styles even, but um, with the eye on the prize that this was always going to be our, our baby going for the this kind of music, I guess, that Sweet Talk plays. Mm. Sure. Yeah, it's timeless, um, feel-good sort of, you know, it's good for the soul sort of music. Like, and, and it, what, I, what I like about it is it's honest and it doesn't narrow in an audience. Like to me, like when seeing you guys play at the St Mary's school, like seeing a bunch <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> kids between, I don't know, 8 and 15, yeah. 16, just like going bonkers getting autographs. Mm. <laughs> That's right. And then, you know, you go and play at a festival and you probably got like 60, 70-year-olds going, oh, you mm. guys, you know, you sound like my youth or whatever. So Yeah. We do get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit, yeah. We get that heaps, you know. Um, yeah, we talk about it a little bit really. Like what's our target market, you know. It's like we then there are multiple ones, you know. Yeah. If there are people our age that love our music and people younger who are getting turned on to it. And I was – when we were in Tasmania, I was sitting in a fish shop in Hobart and Steely Dan was on and I thought – I looked at the kids working yeah. behind the counter and they were 18 I thought, oh, okay, it must be the radio. And then Steely Dan comes on again and then again and then again. I'm like, I had to ask him, like, is there a Steely Dan fan in the house? And they were all mad, rabid Steely Dan fans. And they're 18 years old. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, that's exciting. Kids are still getting turned on to it. So, but like, if you came to either Siren or my, any of our parties and we just, and you had access to our vinyl collection or the Spotify playlist, we, 
playing the music we listen to. Like if you come to like yeah. we would put on Little Feet, the band, Faces, Stones, Beatles, like that's regularly what we listen to. So we're just doing that because we love it, you know. Yep. That's where it starts from. Luckily people seem to like it. And I think also we kind of like the the challenge of trying to synthesise all those yeah. different kind of um, influences because they're not all one sort of thing. But I think what we're trying to do is to go from infusing the Beatles with the Allman Brothers with the face with faces, you know, like, and you know, I mean, I feel like we're doing all right. We've got a ways to go, but um, you can definitely hear those influences on our sleeve. Hopefully, in a not obvious way, I guess, but mm. yeah. Definitely hear the influences without being, I don't know, you're definitely not imitating, but you can definitely hear the honesty and the, it's, it's almost like you're sort of acknowledging and you're admiring and you're sort of paying homage or whatever to these groups that have led the way in that style. Kind of just going, hey, very much dudes from Melbourne with fun music like and that, mm, that yeah. comes through I think in the performance from everyone on stage everyone's having fun mm. but it's it's not just like um, this fake fun either it's like it, it, mm. it's real it's real shit it's good yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah yeah oh, we're no good at faking it I think you can tell if we're having a bad show <laughs> it's hard for us to so um, you know like yeah we we generally you know we're having really good shows lately and, and we're lo- we love it Honestly, we really do, and we we've, we're frothing up there to be playing this stuff. To be honest, you know, like I've, yeah. we, I'm sure we've both done this, but I know personally, I've played in so many groups. I've actually looked back on thinking, why the why the fuck did I play? I didn't even like that music. I didn't even like that band. I didn't even like those people or whatever, you know. But you just get like in a stuck in this thing where you're playing live and it's exciting and, you know. But I bet also, Dave, in the back of your mind, you yeah. you would have always had this band in mind going, yeah. okay, when this is done, then I'll do the thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. This is just a stepping stone to what I really yeah. want to do. Um, and, you know, like you were saying about the, the older fans and, and stuff like that, and, and, like, you know, we're not young, super young fellas anymore. And, like, the beauty of this scene and of, uh, I don't know if you loosely want to call it, we, we call it Southern Boogie, right, but, like, any kind of loosely southern um, country blues kind of roots kind of based music, there it's it's a timeless art form where how old you are when you do it doesn't matter, you know. So it's a yeah. really wonderful place to to be. Like the the pressure 
of trying to make something successful in a short period of time because you're in your 20s or trying to find what figure out what the zeitgeist is that sort of shit it doesn't exist in this because like you said like we're paying we're paying homage to the greats but we're forging a new path within it as well and so there's like there's a clear delineage like a clear line a clear lineage going from the past to what we're trying to do with it you know um and it you know, it's not on the radio yet necessarily, but there are bands out there that are successful doing it. But it's not not the need for us. It's not the reason we're doing it, but it's nice that it seems to be resonating with people. Yeah. yeah. We would 100% be doing this anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah our, our entire goal like a couple of years ago was just to be able to play the gem, our local pub where we lived at the time sure. on the raid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, let's just get good yep. and play the gem each week and that'll be, like, good, you know. But we never really thought we'd be playing interstate every second week, like, at <laughs> all, <laughs> you know, not certainly not year one. So tell us, because you guys are pretty fresh, like, um, yeah. as the band, not personally speaking, but as Sweet Talk, the band, you know, you've, you've released an EP and you're, you know, sort of touring nationally, doing some pretty decent festivals. How has that leap been? Like, have you guys sort of held on to that pretty well like or has it sort of been a bit of a, a shock or has it kind of been I'd, I'd say like- it's yeah it's sort of been we've been working towards this I guess all our lives so we've never not been ready for something like this happening but you know there's a lot going on um, at that time in the world and uh, with COVID and whatnot so it was an element of coming back full force to fully playing live after and so consistently playing live after a period of not really, you know, interacting for a while, you know, that was a challenge sort of in itself. But the fact that it was what it was um, as far as playing live music, the music we loved, the music we'd written literally through COVID, you know, it was quite special. So, you know, it, I think we handled yeah. it well. A lot of us had some other stuff going on. I became a new father right at the start of uh, getting out of COVID when – we first started playing shows and stuff. So for me, that was uh, a, gr- a very joyous but, you know, challenging time. And Dave's been through yep. it himself. He, um, he's a father as well. But, um, yeah, so all in all, I'd say it had its challenges, but uh, we've embraced it and I think we're, we're just riding with it. Yeah, I mean, Soz was at the Tamworth Country Music Festival for a week about a, <laughs> a month after Dusty was born, wasn't it, or something? So, yeah, yeah. you know, that stuff's, that's hard. You know, making those sacrifices, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the big challenges has been learning how to perform consistent runs of dates so close together. That's a whole other skill set I wasn't aware that I needed to prepare for. You know, just – and that – I, I know Tan's, Tane, our singer, you know, he's got a he's got the biggest responsibility with that because he's got to protect his voice. And yeah. But I even found like That's me right. hanging out at the bar after a show talking over the crowd, <clears throat> then the next day being really hoarse and I'm like, oh, hang on. You know, and then the third day I couldn't sing the top notes of my harmonies. I'm like, okay, well, I've got to start figuring out strategies for that and just like get gear maintenance, that sort of stuff. Because like when you're, when you're just playing your local city, you know, you've got a week between shows and you can kind of like pull your stuff out and, and see if everything's working or restring or whatever. But when you're doing three festival runs, flying to another city, playing that afternoon, playing that evening again or doing multiple shows in a day, you don't have that opportunity. So that's a that's a whole other thing that we've had to kind of like learn how yeah. to do, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Have you good. had any challenges along the, that way? 
Have you had hiccups yeah. and things that yeah, just like... <laughs> Don't work. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> we've learned to start taking yeah, right. an auxiliary guitar with us. Um, yeah. So we've yes. got a backup. We've got a, yeah, we've got a backup um, um, with us at all times, definitely. Like one each, you know, yeah. N- n- one for the both of us actually. One I've between got, us, yeah. Yeah, because so I've got two anyway. Right. I've got a... I've got the regular tuning and, and then the open tuning. So if all else sure. fails and two guitars go down, we could still make it work if we had a bit of tuning time in between. Okay. Um, yep. You know, I, you know the, the biggest challenge for sure as guitar players is backline amps. Like that's the stuff that tears your guts out because when you work so hard <laughs> on your tone and like <laughs> we haven't even got to like gear or anything but like, Oh, we did a bit, but like when you've when you've spent so much time investing in in amplifiers and you're trying to figure out what what did you need and and you land on something you're happy with, right? And then you like fly somewhere else and you're playing a Marshall JCM 800. Thank you, Bichino Food and Wine. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's like I don't even know what this what does this do, you know? So that's a that's a big challenge, you know. We've, we're pretty hard on our tech writer, like we've got specific requirements there, but. Um, it's almost, it's very difficult to, for that to happen a lot of the time. So you never know what you're going to get. It's like potluck. So that's a, yeah. that, that's a challenge we both, we, we talk. That's probably the biggest challenge right now that we, we go in round in circles talking about Mm. that on a weekly basis, how we can sort of get around that and mitigate those factors and, um, no hard answers just yet. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. A few guys on the podcast have gone down the helix road (laughs) yeah they're talking about just helixes and in-ears and stuff like that mainly because they're like major touring acts and that's just like they've got their sound guys they've got their tones and each song is like dialed in bang here's the next song because if they're singing they have to think about it's just all there but for me that would just do my head in you know i just oh yeah (laughs) me too it's just yeah. It's like uncharted waters for me. Um, yeah, I can't. Run. I've tried inners before. I hate them. I can't run them yet. Maybe I'll learn yeah. to love them. But the feed, the sonic feed, the feedback you get from the wattage of the amplifier resonating your chest cavity is pretty damn important. I think. Um, yeah. You know, it's like. But we've 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 done everything. We've gone from we've done five watt amps, ten watt amps, like really quiet to try. You know, and then got the band to play quieter to like toying with like 40 watt tweed basements and um you know AC, like ac30s and all this sort of stuff and you know i think where we're landing at the moment <laughs> this is what we're trying to do is it is the dual amp setup <clears throat> so we've got like a, a louder more strident clean amp that is will never yep. get drowned out by the drums yep. uh and then a smaller kind of scuzzed out five eight ten mm-hmm. watt amp that we can kind of get pumped through the monitors and primarily front of house. Cause like when we record, yeah. we always use small amps always. Yeah. Yeah. Like champs or yeah. Like the projectors or little, I've got a little old Princeton, um, uh, brown face mm-hmm. one. Like that sort of thing is, is what we tend to run in the studio, but they're just not loud enough for live. But if you run them in tandem, it, we might be able to get our tone whilst also having the back line. So then I guess if we can find a way of t- touring with the small amps, you know, and then running them with the backline, possibly, or I don't know. I'm thinking like a champ could be like carry on, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. A little pro junior, even like even those little yeah. pro juniors are pretty small and nimble and actually punch above their weight. I reckon those little things definitely. Yeah. But there's yeah, we go around in circles. So do you guys have 
pedals that you sort of rely on at the moment for for that kind of grit and stuff, or is it just turn up and hope for the best? Uh, <laughs> no, I've, I I roll with a what is it a um, clon clone sort of a thing that I have just yeah. in case. I'm sure you you might have similar there, Davy. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a potluck when you get there. Um, that's probably the only one that I need. Yeah, you can get a nice sound. Um, yeah, like I tend to not run them um, and just turn the amp up and just like have deal with it. But like the JCM 800 thing I was talking about before, I don't know how to use them and often there's not enough, quite enough time, but that was quite a dirty amp and so it was it was way too dirty. I couldn't get it clean enough. But yeah, sure. I've got a, a protein that I've been using lately, a brown protein, um, which is a dual pedal thing. One side yeah. is... A, like a blue, uh, yeah, blues breaker type. It's like a pedal. blues breaker, um, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of cool. It doesn't. It just adds a little bit of hair, which is where I kind of tend to live anyway. And then the right side is ironically. No- <laughs> and then the Nobel's um, ODR one on the right thing. I, I, that's my favorite thing at the moment for it. It tends to do everything I need one thing to do. A little bit of hair on the left. Yes. <laughs> and then a, a nice compressed <laughs> kind of lead sound on the right. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. And then, you know, the con I'd, I'd use more in a boost fashion if I needed to get above anything. But one thing I'm finding with boosts lately, and I don't know if this is a tangent or not, is that like where I tend to set the amp, if I boost it, all I'm doing is getting too overdriven because of the sure. volume knob thing. So like the vol- my volume yep. knob's on 7, 90% of the time. And then that's like slightly overdriven. And then if I go to 10, it's relatively not even close to Malcolm Young level overdriven, but like it's grittier than we would normally tend to use. And that's a solo tone, right? So any kind of volume boost from my pedals is just going to go over the top and turn into like too distorted. So that's kind of the, I think we're both kind of battling that at the moment, just like finding a way to get up above the band without being too overdriven while still having a decent, slightly driven rhythm tone you know and i i reckon yeah, yeah. and i i just don't think you get a great result with pedals i've never i've had i've done it all in that world and i just I still feel they sound like pedals I still yeah i totally driving. agree i've realized this week dave that i think the only reason i run the clon on most of the time even if it's like you know low gain or whatever mm. is for that because pete i've only just discovered buffering in pedals and it's because sure. of that, I think, because that mm. fucking, sorry, that our tuner was destroying my signal path. Mm. That's why I wanted the clon on the whole time, Pete. Yeah. I'm yeah. figuring out a lot about my oh. pedals this week, actually, and it's that I don't need any of them. That's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> the deeper down the rabbit hole of pedals that I think we've both done this and I've, yeah. I've done this as well, the deeper down you go, the more you realise you don't need them and... Like if you kind of know how to set the amplifier, if it, obviously right amp, right guitar, the shit you like, yeah. Then it's just a, from, yeah. it's just a distraction, you know. It's um, it's like we and don't. It's a gamble, like with yeah. your signal path almost. And yeah, yeah. It's just it's often not worth it. And it's more shit to go wrong. Like I was <laughs> never happier than when I was plugging straight into the amp using a clip-on tuner. I was never happier. That was like it because there was nothing at my feet didn't have to worry about it this was it this was the limited palette i was allowed to use and i had to figure out what to do with it you know yeah because like we don't use reverb or delay or anything 
on anything. So it's really just overdrives that we've been trying to get like a decent backline amp sound with. But when we play at home, it's like we don't really need Great way to go, man. If, if you if you can get the tone that you want without the distractions of flashy lights mm. and, and also, like you said, mm. things to go wrong, um, yep. cables to go bang or or just like for someone to trip on. If you're playing at the gym, you know, someone's going to probably yep. trip over your pedal board. And, when they're on the way to the loo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Beers all over your pedals, totally. <laughs> and, I mean, they cost so much money and they're just like, it's a joke really, like what's in there? You know, it costs so much money. It's like, do you guys do you guys remember the story about how Neil Young had that pedal that was actually a mechanical pedal and moved the knobs of his amp? That's what I want. Yep, that's the jam. Absolutely, without (laughs) it being a channel switching bullshit amp. Yeah, either the channel switches the tone suck machines. That's the other thing I've discovered over over the years. Really, the less amount of shit in the amp, the better. So, like, that's why I love tweed amps. That's why I love. Fuck it, there's Princeton, um, the brown face. The, my main gigging amp is a train wreck copy, which is basically, as far as I can tell, oh, yeah. basically an AC30 top boost with nothing in it that doesn't absolutely need to be there. So it's a simpler circuit. Just pure sound, like much more harmonic content. No negative feedback is a big one as well. Like, you know, just amps that go into overdrive really reasonably through touch sensitivity. That's mm-hmm. what we're all really looking for, I yep. think. I think we're always looking for play the string softly. It's it's clean, but you can you can break up a bit. Dig in more. You're getting some spank. Really thrash it. It's fucking overdriven. Yeah. We want to do it with yeah. our fingers. We don't really want to do it with our toes. You know. That's so true. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. Day for president. <laughs> but no one seems to have been able to make the thing that we all want, right? So. It's um, but what it comes down to, right? It, it is just like technique. You've got to you've got to invest the time to, yeah. like, I had to do this like a couple of years ago, just like uh, you know, get off my reliance on pedals and and um and you know, learn how to play the amplifier. You know, it's a funny old thing. Yeah, it's a catch because mm. you know everywhere you look, a guitar player has a bundle of tones at his feet, and then mm. it's like, oh yeah, I need one of those. And then they get one yeah. and it's like, oh, I might get another one and then yeah. read a review and then I'm on YouTube and then it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. here's my credit card. Oh, man, God. <laughs> the, the amount of YouTube videos I watched instead of playing guitar oh, in, the, in the, like, in 2000. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> it was so crazy. I was certain that my, my limited playing ability would be better if I bought the pedal. Right, like I had a, I had a real yep. clone. I bought a real clone off of Bill Finnegan. I, I called him up wow. and I bought it. That's, that's, I went deep down the rabbit hole in like two thousand nine, two thousand seven, or something, two thousand eight. I bought one sure. from him, and I, and I bought it for three hundred and fifty bucks, and I sold it for seven hundred bucks to go to 
Vietnam. And I thought I'd, I was like, man, I made so much money. <laughs> and if I'd hung on yeah, to the thing, holy shit. Yeah. I oh, know it's off the show. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. They're overdrive circuits, you know, there are a couple of clipping diodes or an op amp or something. It's like, it's just, it's marketing really. And that's another thing we have to remember, you know, it's, it's hype. Pedals are hype, you know? So, totally. I mean, yeah. yeah. Throw the pedal board away, and then six months later, I want it back probably. So, <laughs> yeah, it's good to it's look. It's good to have them and experiment with things. And I think what I've what I've learned over the time is is you just don't trust reviews. Well, not not saying don't trust mm. them. Just don't think that you are that person. Like you have to yeah. make your own judgment, your own amp, your own guitar, your own style, your own playing skills and ability, and. God, even the band that you play, if you play with a band, like they have to, it has to work for for that outfit, you know. Totally. There's no point having a touch sensitivity approach if you're playing in a really loud band Mm -hmm. because you're just not going to get hurt. Yeah. I think the beauty of what we're doing is that thankfully we actually, we don't, there's no call for us to have a multi-effects unit. There's no call for us to have long delays or too much stuff going on, you know. Like it really is just about, the way that we've used overdrives in, over the last couple of years is really just to try and get a dodgy sounding or cold sounding or turn down too quiet sounding amp to sound like it's turned up louder or fatter or yeah. cooking itself. It's really yeah. just about trying to trick us into thinking we're playing the amps at the right volume or whatever. Yeah. That's good. It's simpler. You know, if we if we add too much effects to us, what we're doing, there's so many other people in our band and so much going on that, that there's just not the space for it, you know. Yeah. Well, that sort of fine points would just get lost. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, you've got so many layers. Every frequency range is sort of getting covered. Mm. Yeah. As soon as you start, that's actually nice. a, it's actually a big part of what we're doing right now is trying to carve more space out in that frequency spectrum right now. So, yeah, I guess pedals, they're not going to help that for us. Mm. So yeah. So we tell did me a- about that. Let, let's, let's talk a little bit about, oh, sorry, man. No, that's all right. No, I was just going to back up. Sorry, I was just say we did a recording the other day and like, you know, like we were saying, look, when, when we record, we record in the same room all the time. We've done it a few different ways. The only way that works for us is everyone being in the same room with the amps in the room. So the amps will be just either yep. side of the drum kit facing us. We'll be facing Nick. Tani's in the same room. He's got his vocal mic running through a small PA at his feet so he can hear himself and we sure. can hear a bit of ambient from that. And then the bass we kind of isolate a little bit, um, uh, but we can still kind of hear it. And that that works for us. Um, it means that we can't make too many mistakes because it's, you know, it's in the room. Yeah. But, uh, but when we do do that, we've done it before in multiple different scenarios, but whenever we use the small amp thing, whenever we use Champs or, you know, small Princeton's, nothing louder than 10 watts basically, it's like when you listen to playback, it's like that's it. That's mm-hmm. the sound. That's the sound we've been loving from all the bands we've listened to forever. That's yep. It had to be what they were doing. So because it, it's not a huge sound, right? It's like gnarly and scuzzy and cool, but it's got its frequency response yes. kind of like in a pocket. Yeah. And because of that, it sounds louder. Like you can have it sitting there and it pokes through because it doesn't have all this wooliness down the bottom. It doesn't have all this extended top end that, you, that has no real harmonic content. It's just there and it pokes perfectly. Gives everyone more space, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. And do, do you guys write guitar parts with that in mind? Like are you guys thinking, okay, I'm going to go low, you go high, let's put a capo on or let's, I don't, I don't know, is, yes. is that kind of part of your songwriting approach? Definitely I'd say, yeah. We yeah. um we do spend a lot of time on that actually. Uh, mm. Well, not not as much as we should, Dave, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, we, we we do often get together outside of the band and we'll we'll put together those guitar parts and think about what works best uh together. But yeah, it's I think it's comes down to what Dave maybe started this convo out with, which is that weaving thing. And um yeah. if we've got that in check and we've got that well oiled, then it sort of all just happens naturally, if you will. Yeah. But yeah, we definitely put some thought into <coughs> registers and trying to, you know, play around one another or um if we are playing in the same register which is un- unusual for us really there's usually like a separation of octaves or something then one part might be more rhythmic compared to the other part or whatever it, it's all pretty organic i mean like if you write a if you write a, a you know a cool um twangy country lick in like the lower register of the guitar you'd be crazy to put another notey part down there on a guitar right so the next bit yeah, yeah. should be higher up the register or simpler or something to kind of carve those spaces out. It's definitely something. I think it comes naturally to both of us though because we are ensemble players at heart anyway. So it's like trying to – Sometimes it'll be like we'll just be jamming and working Mm. on a bit and we'll – It'll come to a point where I'll look at you and I'll be like, oh, you're playing up there. I'll, I'll, well, I'll just play down there then mm. and figure out a part down there and probably vice versa a lot as well. Yeah. But um, it often happens in the moment if we're jamming something out, we'll just be aware of what each other is playing mm. and um, adjust accordingly depending on who's playing a more flaming part. Mm. Yeah, and I think we noticed this the other day as well, like that the whole band's starting to do that a bit more. You know, we've been playing so much this year that like when we're jamming on an idea, like we did a Christmas song recently, uh, Santa yeah. Claus is Coming to Town. <laughs> it came out on Friday and we rehearsed, we got together to rehearse that on the Tuesday prior to recording it on the Friday. And um, we had no, no idea what the hell we were going to do on the Tuesday until we got in there. And like within about... 20 minutes, it was already sounding sweet to track because like we're just naturally falling into an understanding of what the where the where the band's headed sonically, but also an understanding mm-hmm. of what everyone's doing individually and and understanding where the space is and understanding what the role might be. If two people are playing this thing that sounds great, like your job really is to find something that complements that, not to blast yeah. over top of it, you know. So that's starting to happen a lot more naturally now, I think, which is really awesome because stuff just happens quicker, which is cool. I think that takes time though, doesn't it? Like as an individual yeah. to, to learn that and to sort of like mature and go, oh, you know what, this, this moment isn't about me and what I'm doing. It's about the whole. Mm. It's about the unit. It's about the song. It's about maybe leaving some space for the drummer to do a little fill or maybe for the piano player to, you know, get the, get the whirly sort of happening or to spin that Leslie a bit. So... Uh, it really is just time and if you guys are playing as often as you are, like you're going to be like excelling every time you play. You know, you're going to be learning and you're going to be going, oh, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to be natural. It's not going to be like this processed thought. It's just going to be a natural mm-hmm. thing because you're just constantly listening. I think listening is the huge one where you can mm-hmm. just go, yeah, oh, what's going on over there? Ah, mm-hmm. Great. I'll acknowledge that or I'll move away or, yeah. <laughs> 
it's, it's, a, it's a great it's a great feeling. Of, hey, when when there's one one unit, but there's like a huge ensemble making that set, like one sound. It's it's a it's a buzz. Yeah, and I think we want so true. Yeah, we, we want everyone to shine. You know, like this group of players are killer, killer players. So you want everyone to have their moment to to be able to shine as well. And so I think we're pretty yeah. good at, at facilitating that too. It's like when when you mentioned Nick, right? It's like frequently sure. it's somebody, one of the other band members calling for him, hey, you know what you should do? You should do a sick fill here, right? Like quite often the, the star moment someone else is doing is, uh, you know, thought of by somebody else in the band. Like, oh, this would be sick if there was a lick like yeah. this or something, yeah. you know? Yep. Which is really cool. So there's a lot of alley-ooping going on. I think everyone's really generous and, like, we know, like, at the core of the song's king. So, And we yeah. everyone knows everyone's skills and throwing the ball to them sometimes is an exciting way to allow things to happen. Well, I know Nick's a multi-instrumentalist. He plays guitar and, and mm. um, sings as well. Is that kind of the, the vibe in the band? Like, have you, are you all guys sort of, like, multi-instrumentalists as well? And, like, I know that... I've heard interviews with like Levon Helm saying how, you know, playing other instruments makes him a better drummer, you know, like playing mm-hmm. mandolin or, you know, he's, he's a better drummer because of it, you know, things like that. Yeah, I mean, for me, no, I've, I've, I'm straight up guitar. I mean, I've got a ukulele over there and uh, whatnot, but they're, they're various versions of a guitar more or less. Sure. Yeah, for me. Um, yeah, same, same pretty much. I mean, I can program a yeah. drum kit on a keyboard and like play some <laughs> dumb chords on a piano for, for stuff. But yeah, just guitar. Like I think sure. just, I just love the guitar and I don't think I'm anywhere near good enough at guitar to learn another instrument yet. <laughs> so I just want to keep working on that, you know, like, oh man, I sat down and had a pretty terrible day on it yesterday. I was like, oh, nothing was coming out right. I'm like, oh God. You know, it's just like, I suck. So then today it was like, get up and give it another crack. I think everyone plays a little bit of everything, um, but nothing nothing in the realm of the band styles except maybe Nick. Tane plays a lot of guitar. He's an amazing guitar player. Plays keys well. And Craig's a multi-instrumentalist okay. probably. Yeah. Um, I, as much as we're guitarists, I am very – when we're writing and stuff, I'm obsessed with the rhythm though, the drums and what the drums are going to be doing mm-hmm. and stuff, which must be a nightmare for Nick, but <laughs> – when we're writing, yeah, guitar is a huge focus, obviously, but the drums for me, I, I wish I was a drummer <laughs> or could play drums yeah. to some competent level. Uh, one one skill that we're, we're all singers, so and that's I, I'd say that's, that's probably yeah. our second 
second, like my second instrument is probably Soz's second instrument really. It's like, yeah. so, you know, like when we're writing songs, Soz and I, whoever is writing the melody at the time is often singing it. So we're thinking about it from a singer's perspective as well and, and the phrasing of the vocals and, and stuff like that. So, but I think also yeah. coming from like a production background, engineering background, you listen differently. I don't, I'm not sure that either of us listen like guitar, like a strict guitar player might to stuff. You know, I think that having a bit of production in our back pockets and understanding the roles of instrumentation deeply through that, it's like we do understand, we do listen and understand what each instrument could be doing and, and where you could take them without necessarily playing them, you know. And maybe we could touch on that before we go because um, I know it's probably getting late and us dads are getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk quickly about production and, and studios and or just, just like ideas about spending your time in the studio. Like do you guys go in there with fully formed ideas and do you guys like think about what everything's going to sound like before you get into this studio space? Like mic choice, preamp choice. Um, I know that you're all fond of using tape and, you know, one room, mm-hmm. no headphones sort of vibe. Is Does that play a big part of probably even the songwriting or just the parts that you play, are you thinking about the tones and the approach to hmm. the I reckon, sonic? Yeah, yeah. Like to this point I think we've been working towards a foundation sound almost mm. but it's it's something we've spoken about often recently, isn't it, Dave, that um, yeah. per song, per – we want to really start getting a little more intricate on the production ideas, the guitar tones, the drum tones um, – Stuff like that, I guess. But still sounding cohesive, but just getting a little more intricate with some of the ideas, I think, production-wise. Mm. And whether that happens on this album or maybe the second album, I'm not sure, but it's something we're definitely conscious of and want to, at some stage, incorporate, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think we do definitely have an idea. We talk about sounds and, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the process too, like, there's a sound we get because of our process less than it is because of the gear even. And then there's a sound because of the gear le- level to it as well. Sure. But like we always, like in terms of arrangements, parts, all that's well thought out before we go into the studio. We don't ever spend much time in the studio. Like like the first EP that we did, I think we were in there for three days um, for the six tracks. Mm-hmm. And we don't really, you know, we just do some vocal overdubs. All the harmonies are already, you know, written. Um, we rehearse a lot. So we rehearse every single Tuesday night without fail and then we'll quite frequently throw a second rehearsal in if we're playing that week or if we haven't played in a while. Um, So we're rehearsing all the time. We're writing. If we're not rehearsing, we're writing. Like Sarah and I will get together on other nights to write. So, yeah, there's a lot of thought that's gone into it. And so, you know, you can do it a lot of different ways. You can go in and use the studio as a tool. For this sort of music, it's not really about that. This sort of music, the studio is like a, a camera and it's just... Yes. Taking a photograph at the moment of what we've been setting up, like Siren was saying. Like, so it comes down, you know, we use old Ludwig's or, or old Rogers kits. Nick's got his vintage cymbals and old Superphonic. So, you know, it's a start. James has got an old P bass. So, we, you know, we've got tellies and strats, nothing outlandish, nothing crazy. Some old amps, some small amps. We use Wurlitzers and proper key, electric keyboards, proper pianos. So, like, the instruments are legit the studios are legit you know um if we're not engineering it then we choose somebody who understands ribbon mics and you know null null patterns on mics so we can get that have everyone in the same room with and use the null rejection zone to get rid of that sound 
um, that you don't want yep. in there. And then, you know, the mix process is super simple. Like if you looked at our mix files, it'd be like there's nothing on here because mm-hmm. everything's compressed and EQ'd straight to tape and yep. then bounced to tools. So it's really just a, a rebalancing and maybe a little bit of compression and stuff, but not a bugger all really. So, yeah, so there's that. And then, so just by the nature of doing it that way, yeah, that is the production aesthetic so far. But, right. you know, we talked about wanting to maybe do some overdubs, get a bit cheeky with some of the sounds and, you know, maybe plug a guitar straight into a Neve 1073 and wind it all the way up, you know, that kind of yep. cool sound. Yep. Um, <laughs> mic drop, literal mic drop. That's, that's the sound sorry. I'd be wanted so to down for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the sound he's wanted to hear forever. Like, we got to do it. So, yeah, just that shit, like, you know, but all the stuff we love was done the way we just described. Like, look at all the photos of the Beatles yeah. in 1964 standing around a microphone and there's a single mono speaker in there and they're harmonising to the track being played through the speaker. Elvis yeah. in a room with a band, no cans in sight, singing into a microphone, listening to the band. Frank Sinatra doing the same thing, you know. Like, headphones can be cool too. We've just never been able to play as good with them on, so... Well, if if it ain't broke, you know, don't don't fix it or don't alter it. You know, like if if it feels good mm-hmm. and it sounds good and you're getting results that you you want, and if especially if you're a live band, I think a, a lot of mm-hmm. God, it's one thing that peeves me as as an engineer and a studio guy as well. You see these young bands going to studios and and the and the engineer just goes, okay, we're going to do drums today, mm-hmm. and then like you're this young band who just don't really know what to do and they just try and layer everything up and isolate everything and then like look at everything through microscopes and it's just, mm. oh, it sort of does my head in. I was like. It's crazy. Kids or, or, you know, it's a crazy concept. It's stupid <laughs> because then you make a band that's never heard a click track, play to a click track and then maybe they've got some swing or some natural interplay and the first thing you'll do is like time correct the drums. And then yeah, all of a sudden the, the band's playing to a drummer that doesn't sound like their drummer and, yeah, I mean I've done, I've made those mistakes myself in producing records. But, yeah, yeah for us we don't, we don't really need that. So for us yeah. it's like. You're totally horses for courses. I'm not saying it's yeah. the wrong way to go but it, to me no. it's like it, it shouldn't, be the, shouldn't be your first experience in the, in the studio. You should be no. not looking at things on That's the grid right. for the first time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was that your guys' first experience? Because it was mine, literally. Yeah, Yeah, it was mine for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, I was kind of taught to do it that way. Yeah. We went to the same um, production school, engineering school actually, and that that permeated the whole bloody curriculum, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it did. It did. It wasn't like... Okay, what? How do you produce a band? Oh, you go see them play live, and then like this is what I I would do, right? Go see them play live, get to know them, go see them play live five more times, then go to their rehearsals, take notes, and then get them in a studio and try and track them as raw as you can. You know, it was kind of like, how do you make a record? Oh, you go in without a song, <laughs> you set up a click track, <laughs> and then you put get a drummer to play a beat, and then you know, and like you build it like that, and that's a legitimate way of making music for sure. But it's not how you should treat bands. And that's why and that's why I can't stand modern rock music or a lot of modern country music too. But, I mean, no offense to the listeners out there, but, like, as a Kurt Cobain fan, I've, I've never connected with the Foo Fighters because I, I, hear, uh, I hear the increasing reliance on digital technology as you go through the careers of those bands. Like you, you hear the raw bleach era tape, like shitty tape stuff, tape recordings, tape recordings, and then all of a sudden it cl- gets cleaner and more precise and more perfect and more 
epic and grandiose, but it loses everything that I connected with that music over, with punk rock over. So, you know, that energy is a rawness is like that's what we're desperate to try and capture in the studio, you know. <laughs> the swing, the groove, the pop, the skank, we call it the bung, you know. Yeah. Like we, we, we leave mistakes in all the time on purpose, you know, because like that's how that's it happens. That's what makes it human. And it's the human element. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I remember parts of, because I was a big Steve Ray Vaughan fan as well, Siren, um, I went deep into that sure. sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, and there's a, there's a few tracks on that first record, that Texas Flood record, and there's a few moments in there where I can just, I know where the Chris Layton misses a snare beat. I was listening for it. And there it is, bang. I was like, oh, cool. Mr. Snare. Doesn't it make and you it? Hear like, yeah. It's great. It doesn't detract yeah. from the song whatsoever. And that's what you grow to like in these artists because it's real and they haven't. Mm-hmm. edited the life out of it. It's just like dudes playing mm-hmm. music or dudettes, just people Dave and I music. speak about this all the time actually, about there's a thirst for authenticity now and, mm-hmm. and sort of as a backlash to what we've been force-fed for how many years, how many mm-hmm. decades now. Oh, yeah. And particularly maybe just now it feels like there's such a need for this kind of thing or people are interested in it. I think that's even... Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, reflected in some of the um, radio listenership percentages where they're going. Yeah, 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 that's right. The um, the fact that people are turning off of Triple J in large, large numbers. I, I forget the stats, but they were horrifying. Like they lost, they went yeah. from something like 26% of the youth market share to 16% and now they're some, hovering around the 10% mark. And those, those the youth of the National Youth of Australia are turning on to like Gold FM and those kinds of stations where it's, you know, predominantly 70s and 80s music. Um, and I think they just, they've had a gut I think it's of pop it, culture you know? in general, isn't it? Like everything's photoshopped. Yeah. Like everything yeah. goes through a process. Everything goes through a computer before you see it. Yeah. You know? Everything's been modified to go to the supermarket. Go look at the apples. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Everything's been edited. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So I guess what we try to do is not, not take, not, we don't want to sanitize it. You know, we don't want to sanitize the bum. Um, and the real difficulty, the challenge is to play it as an ensemble with the right amount of vibe and feeling. And often, often we know, we know when we've hit the take. The difficulty is if you didn't have a great run, if in your head you didn't have a great run. We have all been dealing with this a lot. It's like yeah. you feel, you, if, I, if I feel like I fucked something up but the, the take was great, it's about swallowing that. <laughs> It's yes. about following that and go, going, no, that was the take. I get it. Yes. I just didn't feel it was the take, but I hear it now, you know. Yeah. That's the yeah. hard part. <laughs> it's like if you if you hit a bung note, you know, and there's no way of scrubbing it and it's going to be in there, living with it, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And that can be, that can, that's a tough one. That's a tough one for, for kids who grew up on the click track culture for sure. But those records where we heard those mistakes, those yeah. players have had to deal with that as well, you know. Yeah. And it's made the experience for us almost. And so. it's and it, often the best part of the record, you know. Yes. Often your favourite part of the record is the, the time the singer's voice cracks and they would have hated it. Or, yes. you know, there's a weird note in the solo. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah. Get out of your own way. I agree.
difficult to swallow. And especially when you're in the zone of that recording environment, your ears are so open, like you're, you're so sensitive to, yeah. to every little thing. You know, it's almost like the worst time to think about it or the worst mm-hmm. time to be a critic. You almost need to go, mm-hmm. okay, cool, that felt great. Let's just put that down on the, on the tape chart. We'll go, great feel, was take three, and then we'll come back mm-hmm. in, a week t- in a week's time and mm-hmm. go, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Instead mm. of going to a playback instantly and going and critiquing your work, you know. Yeah. You have to trust totally. your gut. Yeah. I think with us it's always the pocket because the band's predicated on pocket. That's like the whole thing. So it's are we are the six members creating that pocket. And more often than not, we'll know in the first two bars of a of a playback. Mm-hmm. And and so. if we do, we'll. Do, but what we what we won't do is run from the live room into the control room after a take each time. We'll do five takes probably on the floor, and then mm-hmm. go back in and have a listen. Generally, with a feeling and inclination of which of those takes is the one, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Then it yeah. might be a quick break. Then it might be three more takes. You know, if if we're having a particularly rough run. But it, yeah, it, it's always there's the the pocket that groove, the interplay between the instruments. Is it's either there, or it's not, you know. So we're yeah. pretty quick at identifying that stuff. Nice. Well, are you guys working on material at the moment? Have you got any projects on the on the lurk? Always. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you are you are recording um, a new record? Time will tell. This next year, we're sort of we're sort of at those crossroads right now, sort of figuring out as far as recorded music how we want to deliver it or present it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, we're as um, in format. Like, if you print vinyl, not so well, much format. Sort of like thing. length, I'd say is is more the thing. Like whether okay. we we shoot for a, a proper studio EP or or a proper studio album, or mm. yeah, we're sort mm-hmm. of just deliberating at the moment, I guess. Mm. There will be new music at some yes. stage this year. It's just we're actually going on a hiatus um, from, I guess, April to late July, August kind of vibe because um, I'm having another bub and um, someone else in the band is having a bub too. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say. It's not the best descriptive word by <laughs> We're still going to be working. Yeah, no, hiatus yeah. is bad, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, we're not We're not doing fly gigs for a while. Yeah. Um, exactly. But, we're, yeah, we're, so we're, we're going to use that period where we can't travel to basically write and it's going to be winter and stuff, you know. We've got. We've pretty much got an album in the can writing wise it's just a matter of you know whether we record it all or we'd record bits of it or whatever that's that's got to be driven by demand really about what what we what we need to do this year so you know sure you've only got one first debut album (laughs) one first debut one debut album you know so it's like we don't want to just you know atm machine yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a tough one, right? Like, if you're in Australia and you, you look seeking an Australian label, you've got to. I mean, we could release something independently, but we don't have enough, really, enough head steam to ju- justify that just yet, probably. So it's you know, it's yeah. about if we can get a bit more demand happening for that or whatever. Like, I've, it, there's a documentary that we made um, on. On ourselves, <laughs> on YouTube, <laughs> on our channel, and at the end of it is it just a throwaway that I said, and I said, no one is buying your thirty thousand dollar album, kids, nobody, right? Because like that's how much like realistically an album is going to cost, and 
it's just who's buying them, you know. We're about to print our first CDs actually, but it's like sure. we need to figure out whether or not, you know, we can make an album for us for sure, but it'd be nice to make it for other people. Yeah, it's a tough one, especially when you're financing yourself. I know that all those possible campaigns are mm. a, a realistic option these days. I, I'm not sure how I personally feel about it myself, but I know that a lot of artists do that and they have a great fan base who support that movement. Yeah, we're working with a guy now. We've got a manager, which is exciting. Um, great. You know, we're thinking about it. We, we, <laughs> we, had a, we didn't expect year one to go like this. And I don't think we ever gave much thought to year two. So it, it's like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> we've got a whole other year now. So it's like we're trying to figure out what to do with it, really. We've got some really cool shows. Yeah. We're playing Tamworth again, which is really exciting. That was really Great. the beginning of everything for us. We played there in April this year. Um, and that was really our first At series. Tamworth Hotel. Yeah. yeah. And then that from, from yeah. there is where we got absolutely every offer after that, like, for cool. every other festival basically stems back to that moment. Um, and we're playing Port Ferry in March, Port Ferry Folk Fest, which is super cool. A couple other bits and pieces. So, you know, after that, it's about, okay, let's figure out what we're going to do with the rest of the year. I know I'd buy an LP for you guys in run. We will. And um, I do like the, the, the video content too. I think that's really important in, in, a, yeah. in a band in this day and age is to have great content online, good looking stuff, good sounding stuff um, mm. and, be, and be present. It's such a big factor of having a successful thing, you know, mm. be it music or whatever. You have a good definitely, online definitely. presence. Do you guys dedicate people for that? Or well, yeah, we've worked with multiple. We've worked with a, a few really great people with the video, but it's getting harking back to that authentic kind of vibe we're trying to create. I think that's important as well. Like bringing people visually into that. You can hear it. You can hear it, yeah. but. We want them to know how it happens or how much fun we're having when we do it or I think that's a big part of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so far every video we've released, I think, is the actual take that you're hearing. That's yeah. it being done. So it's cool. it, we're not we're not miming to playback. We're not um, there's no editing between like it's that's exactly the take that you're hearing is the take that's released on Spotify and all that sort of stuff. So or YouTube or whatever. Great. So yeah, and that just like that first EP that we did was supposed to just be some proof of concepts for like getting some shows and maybe putting Festival together some kind of like stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly that stuff. Like with a fe- I think we even applied for a festival and they were like where's your online portfolio and a YouTube video? I'm like, okay, fuck, we better make yeah. one. So we did it and it just turned out better than we expected and we certainly got more out of it than, um, you know, from a measured success kind of perspective, you know, more shows out of it and stuff like that and people like it, you know. So we, we were never intended to throw it up on Spotify and then it, they, people asked us to, so we did. So, yeah, I mean, it was all, it was never, it was never anything we put too much, even that much like time into, but a lot of thinking, a lot of planning, and then just like flash recordings and stuff. So, yeah, we'll see where we land. Yeah, it's about capturing, capturing that vibe in the moment. Uh, well, I reckon, fellas, we've had a good chat. Um, is there anything you want to spruik? I guess one thing is that um, we're not currently sponsored by any great guitar brands. If anyone out there is listening, <laughs> other than that, Dave. Uh, look, I mean, if Aaron Williams are listening, feel free to get in touch. <laughs> Here we are, just using your podcast. For- <laughs> Sorry, Pete. Yeah, totally. Um, we caught it. No, only kidding. Only kidding. 
I could do us a new boots um, too. No, I mean, if, you, if they don't know who we are, go check us out, you know, if you like it, say good day, you know. Sweet underscore talk underscore music is our Instagram handle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, We just released a Christmas song. Come yeah. on, get on it. I don't know if this comes yeah. out before Christmas, but even for next Christmas, <laughs> keep it in mind. <laughs> And the Christmas after that. And one, one thing you don't do is go to <laughs> sweettalk.com.au. I did that. And I was like, <laughs> luxury, luxury candy boutique? I was like, no, And then I went I sweettalk.com and it's like a, an adults only 18 plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one I did at work. That's the one I, yeah. yeah <laughs> to be sure, to be sure, sweettalkmusic.com.au, people. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> Can well, I just say before again we leave, Pete, yeah, sorry, man. sorry, but just how much um, yeah. we both, Dave and I, enjoyed your performance at Bishano, man. You're a fucking, you're an incredible oh. player and it's a real pleasure to be on your podcast, my man. Ah, totally. thank you kindly. Humbled. Maybe it is a good time to finish. <laughs> Let us know when you're in Melbourne. Yeah, well, I will. I'll get in touch. Yeah. We'll hang out and have a mountain goat. Hell yeah. Sweet. Well, thanks again, boys. Um, have a great Christmas and we'll see you. And hear you hopefully soon. Amazing, man. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks, to another episode of Say It With Guitars. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, share it around to your mates, leave a good review, and hopefully we'll see you next time.